Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. I've had uh, 1 Corinthians 12 read in our hearing twice now this, uh, because I wanted to, uh, we're going to be, I'm, I'm going to be referring to that text more uh, over the last couple, next couple of weeks rather than actually going through it. We may go through it a little bit in detail next week, but I want to keep that imagery in your head of the body and of its parts and each part doing its part in that. Um, to that end, let me really strongly encourage you, if you haven't, to please pick up one of these. Um, the Messenger is just absolutely wonderfully done. I read it cover to cover. There's some wonderful articles in here, some of them written by members of this church. Uh, it's so well put together. Uh, we're asking one per household, uh, but if they run out there, let Brady know and she can print off some more of them. So thank you very much for uh, Erica and for the others who put that together. That's, it's just wonderful, and I just really want to encourage you to read it. Uh, today's going to be a little bit different in that um, we're going to have more quotes. We're going to have Bible verses put up on the screen, but we're going to have more quotes as well uh, because there's some ways that things have been said in this text that I think will help us because this is actually something of a, a complex text, uh, not hard to understand, but just so rich that uh, there's so many words that, and nuances that if you, you hear them and know them, it makes this text uh, really come alive. And so I'm going to try to help get some help from more articulate people than me. And so we will have some quotes put up there on the text. So let's pray together and ask God to give us grace. Father, please help us, we pray. Please be with us. Father, please, you've, you've had this text inspired by your Holy Spirit, written by the pen of an apostle into our, the churches so that you would have a message for each church for thousands of years, each church to hear this message and to live these things out. Father, give us grace, we pray. And I just pray that you will help us because I know that you love us and I know that you want what's best for us. And I know that this text really sort of helps us to see what an incredibly enriched and deep and glorious life we can actually have because of the provisions you've made through the body. Help us, we pray, Father. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, this text, and I'm going to read it to, uh, for us. Um, we, we're gonna, I'm going to read verse 11 uh, to verse 16. We're going to focus our attention on half of 13 and then down through 16. But in Ephesians 4, verse 11, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the no of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. 
Before we begin, I'd like to just start off by giving a couple little brief illustrations and some applications to try to make a point, because I feel like this, this passage is so extremely important, uh, especially in light of the desperate need that we have today that this passage would be lived out. So let me give you an illustration. Um, last week, uh, I, we heard a in my house really loud. And I'm like, what is going on? Is somebody in the shower? What's going on? What's going on? Well, here downstairs, a pipe had burst and water was just splashing everywhere, okay? So I shut off the main and uh, identified the problem. But um, by the grace and providence of kindness of God in my life, one of my daughters married a plumber. And so I called him up. And uh, he came over and he fixed it, all right? Now, um, but imagine this. Imagine you have a, a pipe bursting in your house and the water spraying everywhere and you call the plumber and the plumber comes and when he leaves, uh, the pipe is still spraying and the problem's even worse. And you say, why did you call that plumber? I said, well, he's, it's kind of a family tradition. We call him, he's our plumber. Or imagine then you go and your car is sputtering and stalling and won't keep going and so you go to the mechanic and the mechanic goes and he works on your car and when your car is done, you get it back, it's sputtering and stalling and sometimes it's even worse. You say, well, why do you keep going to that mechanic? Well, he's a friend and he lives right down the road. It's convenient for me to go there. And then you go to a barber and every time you go to the barber, your hair looks terrible because he chops it all up. And then you say, why do you keep going to that barber? And you say, well, he's just so funny. He tells the greatest stories and all the guys are around. It's so entertaining and we have a good time. It's amazing how many people say to me in my lifetime, yeah, I go to this church, but I'm not growing. I'm not being fed. And I'm like, well, why do you keep going to that church? Well, it's our family church and it's our family tradition. Or, well, the pastor's a friend of mine and we just keep... Or, well, you know, it's, he tells the funniest stories. It's so entertaining and the music just rocks. And that, But I, I'm not fed and I'm not growing. See, people go to church because of tradition. Or they go to church because they're being entertained. Or they go to church because it makes them feel good. And here's the problem. They go to these churches where they're not being fed. And sometimes they go for 30, 40, 50 years. I've met people like this. And then you ask them to turn to the book of Romans, and they don't even know where a book like the book of Romans even is. They need to look in the table of contents to find the book of Romans. They can't describe the simplest doctrine. They can't, and, and the preaching that they sit under is so elementary and so uh, 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 lukewarm and, and, and just storytelling, and you think, how in the world do you come here every week and not be bored to tears by this preaching that, that is, is little, little above a glorified Sunday school lesson? And then these very same people, when the newest wind of doctrine comes along, they just all jump on board and they all get excited. And what happens is, is that, and this is so true in, in the church in America today, there is just a constant, steady, childish level. We're babes in Christ and we're not growing. It's very similar to what the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews writer says this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You need to find, even find the book of Romans. You can't even find that. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. I can't give you solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. Babes drink out of bottles. And babes demand bottles. 
And believe me, I got a lot of babes right now in my life, little babies in my life, and they're sitting in high chairs, and you give them the smallest little piece of bread that's a little bit bigger, and they start gagging like crazy uh, because they're just used to water, okay? I mean, bottles and that. But solid food belongs to those who, now look at this phrase, of full age, maturity, grown up, and that exact same word is going to be used in our Ephesians 4 passage. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. They're discerning. They can tell good from evil. They can tell right from wrong. They can tell righteousness from unrighteousness. And this is what uh, is absolutely needed today is mature, godly believers who are growing and who's, who, who, who are becoming adults and who can eat meat and who can discern good and evil. And Paul is going to give us the recipe for that in Ephesians chapter 4. So let's look at this text. We've been looking at it. Again, let me just give you a little bit of... Uh, a reminder of where we're at. In chapter 4, verse 1, Paul tells us, after all I said to you in verses one, uh, chapters 1 through 3, live out this calling by which you were called. Then he's talking about unity, oneness. We looked at that last week. And then he says, talks about gifts and giving, uh, Christ giving gifts. Verse 7, he gave each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Uh, the end of verse 8, he gave gifts to men. And then in verse 11, he talks about these gifts. And he focuses here, unlike 1 Corinthians uh, 12 that uh, Dominic read, it says, he himself gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And here he's focusing sort of on the teaching, equipping gifts of the church. Why? Verse 12, for the equipping, for the training, for giving them all that they need, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry or the work of service. The pastors and teachers, evangelists, prophets, and apostles equip the saints so the saints do the ministry. The saints do the worship. The, the body ministers, and as the body ministers to itself, look at the next paragraph, uh, a comma, and then it says, for the edifying and that word means building up. Think of edifice, building up. For the building up, the edifying, the maturing, the strengthening, the unifying of the body of Christ. And that actually becomes, a, the, the, for now Paul takes that phrase, this edifying of the body of Christ. Now he's going to show how that works out in the next several verses. Because if you look at the end of verse 16, look at what he says and causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So this idea of how this these gifted people to teach and equip, equip the saints, the saints serve one another and do ministry, the body ministers to itself, and that edifies and builds up the church. Now, he's going to show how that takes place. Now, in chapter thir verse 13, uh, the first half, this is what we looked at last week. He says, till we come to the unity, and remember I used sort of the idea of oneness, to the oneness of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And so these, these equipped saints who are ministering to one another, what they in edifying the body, what they produce is unity and maturity. And that's where we're going now. And then he says this, look at the next phrase, to a perfect man, to a perfect man. Now let's pause here because I got I to gotta open up some words here. The word perfect here is the Greek word telos. And telos does, when we think of perfect, we think of absolutely spotlessly flawless, nothing wrong in it whatsoever. And telos can have that meaning in certain contexts, but in most contexts, it doesn't have that meaning. Telos means this. It's a word that actually means a consummated goal. 
It's a goal. The telos is the end, the goal. And the, the process of the telos is, is that there's a process, stage by stage, to get to the telos, okay? Uh, one, one guy actually illustrated like this. Think of telescope, which telescope comes from that. But think of the old pirate's telescope where they click, 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 click. They open it up and then they could see clearly that, that, that stage, 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 stage until consummation. That's what the word telos means. And here, it, and so... It's, it's translated in the New King James perfect, which I don't think is helpful, and I don't think it's good for the context. But let me th explain to you perfect by, by, it's not meaning absolutely perfect in that there's no flaws or anything. It's more like this. If you were going to have a party, and you were going to have a big birthday party, and you say, hey, you, believe, you bring the balloons and blow them up. Would you bring the cake? Would you bring the candles? Let's get the decorations up. Let's get the candles on the cake. Did anybody get the ice cream? Okay, good. We got the ice cream. Oh, here comes the cake. Oh, let, oh there are the candles. Oh, there's the, oh, the balloons are up. Perfect, perfect. It's we're ready. That that's tell us we've come to completion. It doesn't mean every single candle's perfectly straight. It doesn't mean it, it means that 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 it all came together. And that's what the word tell us means. Here, the word tell us actually means maturity, coming to full-grown manhood and maturity. And that's the second word in this little phrase here: to a perfect man. Now, what is interesting here is that Paul now uses the word aner, which is the Greek word for male, to the perfect male, as it were, you could put here. And that causes people a lot of question. Like, what does he mean, a perfect man? Because obviously, he's referring to the body of Christ. He's not referring to individuals. He's referring to the body of Christ. And when he did this earlier, he used anthropos, which is the word humankind or mankind or something like that. In chapter 2, look at chapter 2 and verse 15, he talks about how Christ took Jew and Gentile and made one new humanity. Look at verse 15 and at the end. So as to creating himself one new anthropos, one new humanity, one new mankind from the two, thus making peace. But here he talks about the church as its gifts are being used and it's edifying each other to become the perfect male man, ma ma not, ma not male man, but male adult, male adult. That's the word that he uses here. Why? Why does he use that? Well, I think there's a very important reason why, and, I, and the commentator Thielman has done a great uh, help for us here, and so I'm going to quote him. Here he goes. Thielman wrote this. It may be the result of Paul's desire to contrast human maturity with immaturity. Since in the next verse, he will say that once all believers have arrived at the goal of maturity, they will no longer be infants. And I think that's exactly what we're supposed to see when we see this. Paul is saying that the God has given the gifts to the, to the body to edify, uh, to equip the body. The body does its ministry so that we, the body of Christ, would grow to be an adult, an adult, an adult. That's what he means, like a perfect or tell us complete, mature adult. And that's why he uses the phrase man, as opposed to being a child. Because look at the next phrase. He says this, to the, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Think of a, think of a doorway in a lot of families. Uh, ours certainly had it. And you have this, usually it's a doorway, and you have all these little marks, you know, little, little, this is little Johnny when he was one, two, this is Johnny when he was four, this is Johnny when he was five, this is Johnny when he was six. And Johnny loves it when he gets to the point where dad is here and Johnny is here, okay? 
Now, once Johnny is here, he's taller than dad, and that's way cool. It never happened in my life, but it's way cool, okay? And Johnny has now grown to the stature of his father, okay? And that's what's being said here. It's being said that the body of Christ is to grow to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ is the standard. And so, for instance, in Romans 8, 29, it says this, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Notice, we've been predestined in order for the purpose of being conformed into the image of of his son, to be made like the image of his son, to be made like his son, so that he'll be the firstborn among many of us. He'll be uh, the older brother, and we will all have that sort of family look. Now, notice here the fullness of of Christ, to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, it's interesting because if you look at chapter 1 and verse 22, he tells us that we, as the body of Christ, already are the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And this is the already, not yet. We already are the fullness of Christ because we are the body of Christ and we are the fullness of him. And yet we're to be striving to experience more and more of the fullness of God. Look at chapter 3 and verse 19. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now he says in verse 4, in chapter 4, that we are to be using our gifts, ministering to one another, building up the body of Christ to mature manhood in order that we might attain the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're, that, he, he is our goal. Listen to how F.F. F. Bruce wrote it in his commentary. When the goal is ultimately reached... And the body of Christ has grown up to match the head himself. Please, I think it looks like this, this, is gonna, this quote's going to go on to the next phrase. Just look at that phrase for a second. Has grown up to match the head himself. We're going to come back to that because he's actually pulling that out of verse 15. But I, I want you to think of that concept there. Then he goes on to say this. Um, and the goal is ultimately the body to match Then will be seen that full-grown man, which is Christ, together with his members. So this is one body of Christ. He's the head. We are the body. And we have all, like, as it were, the head in the body is, is now a fully grown, mature man. That's, what, that's the goal, okay, for the church. And he says this, that spectacle will not fully appear until the day when they are glorified together with him when finally the, 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 we, we appear with Christ in his glory. But the expectation of that day will act as a powerful incentive to spiritual development in the present time. We should be moving toward this. This is the goal. This is the telos. This is where we need to ultimately end up. And so that's what this is saying. We are to grow up to the head. And look at how he uses that phrase. Jump over 14, but look at 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head. Who is the head. Think of, babies are wild. Like, I love babies, but they're wild too. Like, babies are born with this big head, okay? It's heavy. They can't even, they, you know, you got to support the head. Okay, support the head, support the head. And then when they start getting a little bit of muscle to them, they have to, they, and they want to sit up. They want to be independent. They want to stand up. They got to, they got to balance that head. Like they're going like this. And then sometimes the head just takes them over, you know. And, but as they grow, they grow into that head, don't they? They grow into it. 
But if, what if somebody had some kind of genetic weird thing going on and their head grew to an adult head, but their body stayed a baby's body? And this is the kind of weird, grotesque thing that Paul is saying should not be happening in the church. And this is what got the writer of the Hebrews upset. And he said, you, by now you ought to be teachers and you're babes. You ought to be adults eating meat and you're not. And so let me just make out a main point here, this whole thing. Christians and the church are supposed to grow and mature. That's what's supposed to be happening. The body is supposed to be being built up and edified. Verse 12, for the edifying of the body. It is supposed to grow and grow and grow. And so for a Christian to say, I'm not growing, I'm not being fed, I'm not growing, the answer is, why? That's absurd. That's the very thing that's supposed to be happening. When all these new moms are around here with all these babies, they'll come occasionally here and they'll say, yeah, just had, just had the, the, the doctor's appointment and we're at you know, 90%, 80% height, 80%, 90%, 50% weight, whatever. But the important thing is that we're moving, we're growing, we're growing. And if somebody walked in here some Sunday and said, uh, I went to a six-week do uh, doctor's appointment and my baby hasn't grown, hasn't grown at all, we'd all be alarmed. It would be a prayer request. But churches continue in mature, immaturity and babyhood, and nobody has a prayer meeting. You should have a prayer meeting in sackcloth and ashes if that's happening. And now you see why the teaching ministry in a church is vital. Verse 11, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints. The teaching ministry of the church is vital. And I just want to put this out there, especially to our young people. Those of you who are, are young people here and who knows where Providence is going to take you, jobs, marriage, it may take you wherever. Let me urge you as young people, when you move and where you move, find a church, but not just any church with leaky plumber pipes and, and, uh, and choppy haircuts and, 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 and cars that run terrible. Not those kinds of churches because don't look for the music ministry, don't look for the entertainment, don't look for the programs. Don't, don't, don't. You need to find a church where there is a vital preaching and teaching ministry of gifted pastors and teachers who are humble and faithful and people grow and learn. So it doesn't matter how good the music is. I would rather go to a church that has a weathered, yellowed, old hymnal from the 1920s and an old lady sitting here. And Cindy is not old. I am not talking about Cindy. <laughs> I'm talking about a woman named Amy Pay, who was 90 years old, the first church of Jen and I served at, and she was out of key, out of tune, out of everything. And all, But there was a vital teaching and preaching. I'd rather go to a church like that than go to a church with amazing music and silly superficial preaching. It doesn't matter how funny the preacher is, how entertaining it is. It doesn't matter how many programs a church has, how many amenities it has. Yes, there are churches where you can walk in and get a hot espresso and a hot cappuccino. Yes, there are churches where you can send your children off and they'll be entertained and wowed and, and jazzed and everything. Who knows how much Bible they're actually learning. Yes, there are churches that have health groups that can help you with this, help you with that, help you with this problem, help you with that problem, help you with this problem. And yes, there are even churches where you can go and get your oil changed while you're in church. But that's not how the church is supposed to be built. That's just how they teach church growth to uh, pastors. No, 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 no. You find a church where there is faithful 
gifted, humble, godly men preaching God's word, women teaching God's word to women. And you go to those churches where you will be instructed and you will learn. You will come out of church every Sunday challenged and stuff to learn. You will come out and you will be exhorted. You will come out and you will be motivated from the word. The word will motivate you, not some motivational speaker. You will sometimes be rebuked. You will sometimes be corrected. You will sometimes be mad at the preacher because he's not a man pleaser. He's not speaking to make you happy. Soft preaching makes hard hearts. Hard preaching makes soft hearts. And I'll tell you what is a wonderful experience. We have it here regularly, but not just us. I talk to my other pastor friends who are godly men who are preaching faithfully. It's not unusual to hear this. I came into this church six months ago, and I have grown more in those six months than I had 20 years previously. That's because you had an exposure to the Word of God. You came under the Word of God. So the main point is we are supposed to grow. We are supposed to grow. The second main point is this. You are to be concerned about yourself growing as an individual, but you are equally to be concerned about all of us growing as well because we are all connected as a body. And this is what 1 Corinthians 12 is about. The body is made up of eyes and ears and a mouth. It's made up of lungs and a heart and kidneys and it's kidneys and, and liver and, and pancreas and spleen and stomach and, and, and muscles and bones and nerves and fingernails and toenails and hair and skin. The body is made up of all that and all must work together. And we are to grow together as a body. This corporate identity of growing and growing as a body. And that's what Paul is trying to get at here. That we are to be growing... The, the, the pastors and teachers are equipping the saints. The saints are serving one another. And that is edifying the entire body of Christ. And we need to see that we are very much a part of this. That this is what's important. And if the pastors and teachers are doing their job, then the saints are doing their ministry, then we should be growing. And it is a real problem in the human body if an organ doesn't grow. If my body grows, but my organ stays the size of a child's infant's organ, uh, I'm sorry, my liver stays the size of a, liver, a child's liver, or my lungs stay the size of a child's lung, and I can't support this body, or my femur doesn't grow, and so it stays the size of a, of a, of a child's femur, or my bicep is, is atrophied, and, it, and it, it, that's a problem. And so you see, dear friends, you need to mature so that we can mature. We need you to grow strong so that we can grow strong. We each are a part of this. We're connected together. Then look at what he says in verse 14. He says this, that, so here we, we have this sort of ongoing thing, you know, the edifying of the body, uh, perfect man growing in maturity, that, here's the goal, one of the goals, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried away with every wind of doctrine. We are to grow so that we're not... Do you ever take children to the beach? I mean, to the ocean? You take little children to the ocean, you got to watch out because a wave will wipe them out instantly. 
You take them, you take them in, so you got your little, and he, he wants to walk on his own because he's just learning how to walk. And he goes walking right out to the ocean there, and the waves are crashing. He goes walking right, and you run up to him, and you grab him, and you grab him, but you grab him just in time for a wave that comes six inches over his head, comes flying through. And you pull him back, and he's crying. and, and, that, and, and that, or, or maybe you've got a little bit of an older one here. You say, hold my hand, hold my hand, and, and, and she, wants to, she, wants to, she wants to face him. And the waves are you're holding on to her. They're not moving. You, they're, whoa, come back. Whoa, come back. Children are very prone to these waves and, and these things blowing them over. And Paul says we need to grow so that we're not these infant children who are just tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, every single little wave that comes through. We're not tossed to and fro by them. And we get so much of that in the church today. It's so disheartening. It's so disheartening. A new book comes out. A new fad comes out. Everybody gets on a new bandwagon. Now, you won't, some of these won't mean anything to any of you, but some of them they might. The prayer of Jabez. Anybody remember the prayer of Jabez? Okay, I see some heads on The prayer of Jabez. It was a book that came out. It was a prayer. This guy named Jabez in the Old Testament prayed this prayer. And then there became all this superstitious stuff about, if you pray this prayer, God, enlarge my tent. God, bless me. God will bless you. You will be blessed. And I'm telling you, everybody read the prayer of Jabez. Everybody's praying. Everybody's asking you to pray the prayer of Jabez. And, of course, I'm the kind of, I'm that bummer dude. Said, no, I pray the Lord's Prayer. Would you give me a break with that prayer? You know, so that's why people don't like me. But anyway, the prayer of Jabez, it just took it. And then there was, like, seminars and bracelets and all this on the prayer of Jabez. And then it all phased out. And see, most of you never even heard of it. It was it that significant that it didn't even last for six months? How significant was that? But everybody was into it. There was a Toronto revival. There was a Toronto revival. Yeah, the city of Toronto had a revival, huge revival. Lots of people going. Lots of people traveling to Toronto. And it was marked by people being overcome by the Spirit, falling on the ground, rolling around, and grunting like pigs and howling like dogs. I met people who were going to Toronto. We got to get into this. The Holy Spirit's moving. God's at work. God's at work. I said, where in the Bible do you see God laying people on the ground, rolling them around, and oinking like pigs, and barking like dogs, and that's what the Holy Spirit does? Oh, brother, you, you don't even have the Holy Spirit then. You, have no, you don't know what you're talking about. We're going to get the Holy Spirit. And I said, okay, okay, go, go. The prayer of Health and wealth ministry. Word of faith. T.J., what is Jake's, what's his name? T.D. Jakes. T. I got it written down here. Why can't I read it? T.D. Jakes. You know, word of faith. You say the word and God's got to do it. You want health, God will give you health. You want wealth, God will give you wealth. And people flock to this thing, flock to this thing. How about Joe Olstein? Joe Olstein. Today, Joe Olstein will fill a, a former NBA stadium, I think it is. He'll fill it with people. He'll never mention Christ's blood. He'll never mention repentance. He'll never mention the cross. He won't even open the Bible. He'll take a few verses and he'll run with them. But here's his message. Your self-identity is very important. Your self-fulfillment is very important. Your love of yourself is very important. Yourself is important. You are the most important you in your life. And so your project in life, your purpose in life is to find self-fulfillment, self-happiness, self-confidence, self-identity, yourself. That self-well-being, a, a, a healthy psychological self, a healthy, that's your number one job. You're God. And now we're going to ask Jehovah God, the triune, holy, 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 eternal God. 
we're going to ask him to come down and be a little lackey servant to help serve in the temple of you. That's Joel Osteen's message. And he sells millions of books because the body of Christ is so immature that it's tossed about by every wind of doctrine. But it gets worse. Look at the second half of verse 14. By the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. I don't have time to go into every word there, but that's scary. Men are tricking. They're, the word actually is cubo. cubo. It, 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 it actually is where we get dice from, cube. And it has to do with sleight of hand. The trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. These are wicked people. Paul in Ephesians 6 is going to talk about the principalities and powers who are actually doing this, who are trying to deceive, bring people under deception. But the, 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 the picture that's being painted here are people that are so tricky and so deceptive that you don't have a clue what's happening. You don't have a clue what's happening. Unless... You're mature, unless you're mature. You see, this intentional deception is the thing that Jesus most warned about. You know, in Jesus, in Matthew 24, Jesus was asked, tell us when the temple is going to be destroyed and when are you coming? And he starts talking about the end times. He starts talking about the end times. But listen to the first thing that comes out of the, the Lord Jesus' mouth in warning about the end times. In Matthew 24, 4, 4 and 5, it says this. And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the first thing that came out of Jesus' mouth. He's not going to talk about Antichrist. He's not going to talk about the, the, you know, all the other stuff. He's not going to talk about that. Take heed that no one deceives you. I'm, okay, I'm going, to talk, I'm going to talk to you about the end times. Let me begin. Don't you be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And then he went on to say in verse 11, then many false prophets, this is the same message, then many false prophets will rise and deceive many. Look, many people are going to be deceived. Many tricky false prophets are going to rise up. The T.D. Jakes, the Joel Olsteins of this world, they're going to rise up, many of them. Then he goes on to say, verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. They just arrested a man in Africa. Because many of his followers had just killed themselves by starvation. He had told them to do that. He had taught them to do that in the name of Christianity. Many are going to be deceived. And what Paul is saying here is this. Christ has given us apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers. And we have the apostles and prophets teaching right here. Evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For the equipping of the saints. For the ministry to one another. For the building up and maturing of the body of Christ so that we won't be deceived. Listen to how, um, listen to how F.F. Um, F. Bruce wrote it. He says this. The new humanity on earth is here emphasized, it is here emphasized, must grow to adult maturity in order to resist all of the adverse forces that threaten its health and effectiveness. 
We need to have strong maturity. We need to grow to adulthood. We need to have the immune system that an adult has. You know how kids go through these childhood sicknesses and everything, and, 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 and the adults and the parents don't get it? Because you're already immune to it. You had that when you were a kid. And that's what they're saying. This is what we need to grow and grow and grow into adult maturity, Paul is saying, so that we won't be deceived. That's what he's saying here, so that we won't be deceived. Well, how does this work? Well, look at verse 15. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, and that's a really interesting word because the word actually is, it doesn't use the word speaking in it. It just says truthing each other in love, which is interesting. You can't translate that in English, so we translate speaking the truth in love. Giving truth to each other, truth, truth, so you're not deceived. This is the ministry, one to another. Truth, truth, truth to each other. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So the body becomes a mature body like the head is a mature body and head, which is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. This is what we're to be doing. By the way, this is what this does. And it does a great job. And by the way, by the way, there are many, many, many churches. And there are many, many, many pastors. This is meat for them. They can't, they can't digest it. This is meat. And, and, and there's some great articles in here by godly men and women of this church. And that's because they're maturing as the body of Christ. We're to be teaching and preaching to one another. We're to be speaking love. We're speaking truth into each other's lives encouraging one another and, and, and building each other up and admonishing each other and, and helping each other to see. Sinclair Ferguson wrote this. But the prolonged, intensive, faithful exposition of God's word delivers us from immaturity. Look at that again. But the prolonged, intensive, faithful exposition of God's word delivers us from immaturity. If as God's people we are together exposed to the same sanctifying truth on a regular and intensive basis, our minds and our thinking, our wills and desires would be recalibrated to the mind and will of God. That's speaking truth to one another in love. And then in verse 16, and I don't have time to go into it because that's okay because we're going to go into it next week. There's this amazing picture. Verse 16, from whom Christ the head, from whom the whole body joined in it together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which each part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We're going to look at this next week, but I'm going to just give you a little preview of it. From Christ, the energy in life flows. The energy in life from Christ flows. But it doesn't flow, as it were in this verse, to each of us individually. It flows to all of us corporately. And as each person is doing their part, I am experiencing the fullness of the glory of Christ. And I am growing in him. Because I need you, you need me, we are a body. And Christ is the head and he's flowing through. You see, the body of Christ is to, as it goes, as each part is doing its share, as the energy of Christ is flowing, as our union with Christ is being experienced in, together as a body of believers, 
then we will edify and we will grow in love. So Paul's desire in chapter, in verse 12, at the end, for the edifying of the body of Christ, the saints are equipped doing ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. At the end of verse 16, he says, as this body is doing its part and the energy of Christ is throwing, flowing through every connection in every part and every part is doing its share. The liver is doing its liver's job. The kidney is doing its kidney's job. The heart, lung is doing its job. The heart is doing his job. Everybody's doing their job causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The body is edified. The body is built up. The body is moving toward being the mature man. So let me just apply this to ourselves. Let this biblical vision sink in. That's all I want really to have happen today. Let this biblical vision sink in of the importance of the body of Christ and everybody doing their part. And the importance of being equipped and then doing your part in sharing. We're going to go into a lot more detail on this next week. But I just want this to, sh to, 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 to sink in. And I, and I would really encourage you to do a couple things. Number one, pray. Pray that God would do this here among us. And praise God, he is doing this here among us. And he has been doing this here among us. I read something like this and my mind is blown. I'm like, praise God, praise God. People are using their gifts. There's a lot of giftedness in them. Praise God. God is doing this among us. God is at work. I hear these Bible studies and these, these small groups that are meeting and, and I hear what's going on there and the content and the discussions and, and praise God, God is doing it. People are using their gifts. I hear of people serving and encouraging and phone calls and, and, and praying with one another and sending cards and reaching out and rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep and ministering to one another and drawing near to one another and giving to one another and getting outside of our individual comfort zones and helping one another. And I praise God. It's happening, and we're growing, and you all are growing. And let's just pray that God would continue to do this, that God would grow us into adulthood, grow us into maturity, that Christ's power would flow through us and to each other as the Holy Spirit is going, and that the preaching and teaching would be done well here. And let me say to those of you who preach, those of you who teach, those of you who are leading these Bible studies, those of you who are discipling other people individually, please, please, I may urge you, do your job well. Do your job well. Know the word. Sink into the word. Keep growing from the word. Let the word change you and infuse you and, and change you so that as you're preaching, you're teaching, you're doing this to the power and glory of God. Pray that God would do that. Pray that God would send his spirit. Pray that the teaching and preaching ministries here, the discipleship ministries, even the encouraging ministries one to another would be anointed and used by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, leave this place this morning, please, determined to do your part. Determined to do your part. This question should start, and, 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 and let it roll through your, your mind today. We're going to go in a little bit more detail next week, but don't put this off till next week. What is my part? What is my part? Why did God sovereignly put me in Crossroads Church right now in 2024? What are my gifts? How can I do my part to make this growth go forward? I see a lot of... I see a lot of faces absent here. They're not absent. They're back there ministering. Those ladies are back there in junior church and they're pouring their hearts into those kids. Those ladies are back there in the nursery and they're pouring their hearts, caring for those kids so that you can be out here. That's, that's how we serve one and that's how we're doing. What is my part? And then how, do, how can I grow? How can I grow into this part that I have? 
I'm a part of this body. Am I a baby, a baby liver? Or am I a full-grown adult liver that's actually processing and doing what it should be doing for the body? Am I baby lung? Or am I full-grown lung? And then that's why I would say this. Let me urge you is this. Fundamentally, what needs to happen for my body to be healthy is every system needs to be working. For this body to be healthy, every part healthy. Let me urge you. Nurture a daily closeness with God. Why do couples go on date nights? Why do we encourage date night so much? Why date night? They even just have one little kid. That kid will go to bed, then they can talk, have their date. No, 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 we like, we like to encourage date nights. Get a babysitter, go to a restaurant. Sit across the table from each other, eyeball to eyeball. Without the child, in, and talk. And reconnect. Fall in love again. Get to know each other. Dear friends, I'm saying we need to do that daily with God. We need to get alone with God. We need to spend time praying and talking to God, person to person. We need to spend time thinking and reading and meditating on this word. And I just want to throw this out. If Jesus, the very son of God, incarnate, needed to do this on a regular basis, which he did, certainly I do. I want to urge you, nurture your personal walk with God. Even if it's a short little, sometimes Jan and I would have five-minute dates. When you have eight, nine, 10, 11 kids running around, you know, date night may not be possible. Well, sometimes we would just have five-minute dates. We just lock the door. Kids would be out there, oh, mommy, daddy, where are you? Shut up. We're, having, we're reuniting here, me and her. We just need a little bit of five-minute date time here. But get alone with God. And then walk with God throughout the day, growing in him, praying to him, talking to him, following the lead of his Holy Spirit, putting to death sin, mortifying sin, growing in grace, growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Walk with God each day, all day long. And you will find that as you then grow and mature as a believer, you come into this place, we're all healthier because of you. And then finally, I would say this. Are you a member of the body of Christ? Are you a member of the body of Christ? Because I want to say this. Listen to me very carefully. Only members of the body of Christ go to heaven. Only people who are part of the living, vital body of Christ go to heaven. Okay? Jesus is coming for his bride. Jesus is coming for his body. Jesus is coming for his sheep. And if you are not connected to that group of people that Jesus is coming for, then you are not going to go to heaven, okay? You're not going to go to heaven. Are you connected vitally to Christ? Are you united to Christ? Have you been born again? Have you trusted in Jesus? Has he given you a new heart? Have you repented of your sins? Have you planted your flag and said, I'm Jesus's, I'm his? Have, have you embraced him through faith as your Savior and Lord? You need to do that. Have you been baptized? Have you joined a church? Are you growing? Are you using your gifts? Are you connected to this mystical, beautiful, wonderful thing called the body of Christ? Now, I'm not saying you have to be a baptized member of Crossroads Christian Fellowship to go to heaven. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this. 
When you are united to Christ, that same spirit unites you to the body of Christ and you are to be a part of that and vital part of that and living. And if you are standing on the outside now looking in, maybe you're here today and you, you, you yeah, I should, I should come to Christ. Yeah, I should get baptized. Yeah, I should join the church. Yeah, I should roll up my sleeves and get a part and, and join and lock arms with these people. But I'm going to sit back here and analyze and think more about it and, and, and maybe contemplate it and maybe... You are doing something incredibly dangerous. Because if you die and you are not connected to Christ, you will perish. You will perish. And why are you not connected to Christ? What arrogance? What self-centeredness? Oh, you're asking questions. You're considering it. Is it not possible that's a smokescreen? That you are actually just holding off. You're better than everybody else. You're going your own way. You're going to do God on your terms. Let me tell you, you are not going to do God on your terms. God does not kowtow to that. He is the sovereign and living God. You come to faith in him and trust in him and his terms. And his terms are... I save you, I incorporate you into a body, and you use those gifts for the good of the body. And then I come and I redeem my body. I come for my bride. And I give them the new heavens and new earth. Oh, dear ones, do not be deceived by Satan. Flee to Christ. Be baptized. Join a church. Use your gifts. Minister to others. Grow connected. They need you, but you need them. Get connected to the body of Christ. And when Jesus comes, he takes us all with him. There is no salvation apart from that. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much that redemption is more of than me just raising my hand to accept Jesus and then going on. That it's a full-blown redemption. It's a full-blown salvation. It's a new birth. It's a body. It's brothers and sisters. It's a ministry. It's a life. It's a community. It's a people. It's a temple. I praise you and I thank you. And I thank you for the privilege you've given us to be a part of the body of Christ. Father, help us, I pray. Help us as we wrestle with these things. Who am I? What is my part? What are my gifts? Why am I here? How can I serve? Who can I serve? Father, give us grace. Please, mature us. Oh, I pray, Lord Jesus, that when you come back, you'll look at these years of crossroads and you will say, well done. Well done. What a mature body of believers. No infants here tossed to and fro. Well done. Oh, Lord Jesus, we long for that. We long for that more than making money. We long for that more than our leisure. We long for that more than our pursuit of some self-identity. We long for your glory more than everything else. Save any who are here, who are standing on the outside, who are afraid to come in, who are willfully defying coming in. Save them, I pray. Draw them in.
Oh, they don't know what they're missing. Show them what they're missing. Bring them in, I pray. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.